Okay, we're good. Hey, Hannah, how you doing? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I thought that this might be the way to introduce the podcast today. This is a different kind of episode. Just check in with each other real quick. I was wondering if you'd seen the latest news on Twitter. It is a post by George R. R. Martin. George writes, hot damn. I'm a cover boy, an Esquire cover boy on the Chinese edition of Esquire. Some fun pictures inside as well, and lots of text I cannot read. Those of you who can read Chinese, enjoy. I would honestly love a copy of that. Did you see the photograph? Yeah, that's why I want a copy. <laughs> so I can keep it. There's a reply on Twitter that says the book just got moved back another two years because of this comment. Oh, did somebody write that? I think most of it is about... Yeah. Him. It probably is. It's like, you took this picture for Esquire. That means that we're not getting the Winds of Winter on time, right? You should have spent that time writing. How like, could okay, you pose with this sword? I got to hand it to everyone, though, at Esquire. That Photoshop of the crown on George's head is perfect. It's good. I hope everyone's having a good day. Today's episode is a little bit different, slash exciting, slash a little bit different. Um, you guys hear us talk a lot about our other podcast, Rewatch the Throne, where if you're not familiar, we have been rewatching, as the name suggests, the series from the beginning to we're not at the end yet. We're in the middle, but it's been a total blast and it's been a great opportunity because Zach and I never haven't talked about all these episodes. Yeah, I think it was in season six. I didn't start watching. I didn't start. <laughs> I almost said I didn't start <laughs> watching Game of Thrones till season six. That would be, <laughs> that would be horrifying. No, I didn't start. We didn't start doing this podcast. I didn't start doing this podcast until season six. So we haven't started talking about, in an official way, all these other episodes and all these other seasons. So it's been a ton of fun to kind of cover theories and feelings and thoughts about stuff that we never talked about. We just finished we have a Red Wedding and a few episodes wedding. later. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Joffrey was murdered, and that's the episode <laughs> that <laughs> – sorry, I think everyone knows by now. That's the episode that – Stitcher has so graciously offered to post on our feed this week. And it's really exciting because I, I don't know. I remember when right before we sat down to record, I had just finished and I was like, I'm about to have this conversation with him. This kind of feels like a Sunday in the middle of the HBO season, except mm -hmm. there are no owns being tweeted toward us. But we had never you know, sat down after watching The Line in the Rose or really any of the older episodes, like you were saying, and had a boxed-in discussion like we do on Sunday nights during the season. And so it's been fun to make the show in the background. And like I said, it's cool to put it out today. So mm -hmm. we hope that you enjoy it. Yeah, we hope that you we hope that you like it. And if you do and you're interested in catching up with all the other episodes, they're all up with Stitcher. So you can catch up from season one up until now. And then obviously we'll keep going until... We run out of stuff to talk about. You can find the rest of Rewatch the Throne and tons of other shows on Stitcher Premium. And if you use our promo code THRONES on their website, you will receive a month of Stitcher Premium for free. That's an entire month to get caught binge up listening. and rewatch and binge <laughs> listen. It's the perfect time because we're heading into spring, summer, and we have no new season. So you can just close your eyes and pretend like we're doing it all over again. So that's it, everyone. We hope you enjoyed the line in the rose. Ta-da! May you and my daughter Marjorie drink deep The line in the rose is the second episode of the fourth season of Game of Thrones. It's the 32nd episode of the series overall and premiered on April 13th, 2014. It was written by, drumroll please, George R. R. Martin and directed by Alex Graves. Long live the... No. <laughs>
The Lion and the Rose. We've reached it. George R. R. Martin penned this episode. Alex Graves directed this episode. The end or the beginning, depending on where you were in reading at home, of the mystery, which is who murdered Joffrey Lannister hyphen Baratheon. Dun, dun, dun. It's such a great episode to have a moment as big as Joffrey dying this early on in the season. I feel like it sets up for a really interesting season. And we were in King's Landing for a, quite some time, and we got to see a lot of King's Landing characters interacting with each other in a way that they don't usually interact because we had this big wedding. And I thought it made for a lot of really great little moments that I really liked about this episode. I forgot that this was the episode that contained the Ramsey, Theon, Hound hunting scene. Mm. I, I guess thinking back, I always thought it was in Two Swords, and that was part of, I think, the reason that episode was so special to me. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. It was in the beginning of this episode, and I don't I don't know. It's pretty brutal, but it's still one of my favorite sequences of the series. Well, don't you think it's interesting that in the episode— we we're, we've been getting the buildup of Ramsey for quite some time, but in an episode where Joffrey, who was kind of like the main guy we hated for so long, gets killed, we have Ramsey definitely surpl not well not definitely but very handily starting to supplant everything that Joffrey had done, even all the terrible stuff he does in this episode by hunting a person. Yeah, but he did have those moments in this episode where he was more of a likable Joffrey than he's ever been. I thought you were going to say Ramsey, and I was like, oh. <laughs> no, you're right about that, where it, <laughs> they just kind of turned up the volume on Ramsey's poisonousness. Mm-hmm. Also, that transition from Roos not being that into him and introducing him, you know, this is Ramsey Snow, my bastard, and Waldo kind of having that position on top of him. But after he proved himself, and I know that we'll talk about it, scene by scene or, or something like that today but after he sort of miniaturely proved himself and gave Roos a little bit of hope that there might be something more there or at least his son might be crazy enough to pull something else off if he was able to do that to to Theon mm-hmm. he changes from that mysterious which side is he on guy from last season to that big opening in this episode where he directs his dogs to rip up someone who's it's just in juxtaposition to how sort of i don't want to say epic but how sort of beautiful the forest feels and the action is exciting and the shots are sweeping yet it's very surreal how much this person's suffering and after she gets shot through the leg with the arrow her fear is mounting and then obviously her pain is mounting and that being mixed with just his gleeful approach to it is like sort of what we've seen from joffrey but it's just got an edge to it that I don't think we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we've seen Joffrey, I think, be tempted by behaviors like this and be intrigued. I mean, we saw him. Well, that's actually not true at all because we saw what happened with the women in his chambers. So he's taken it. But but Ramsey just kind of takes it to a sporting level and he has like a gleeful ness about him that i think takes it to the next level is basically i think what you're saying well and he's also sharing the scene with miranda where they're both sort of being the worst versions of themselves and they're getting away with it because he has this power where she's being jealous of that girl she's like oh i I think that she thinks she's pretty i'll put this arrow through her face and then him just having this 
this toxic overrun power where he's just bending everyone in the situation, the dogs, Theon, even Miranda to his will. I think it's just not likable to see them happy. You don't think they they're... make a cute couple? <laughs> no, I think that they make a adorable couple. I think that, <laughs> I don't know, they seem to get along pretty well. They share common interests. And it was a fine at... shot, my lord. <laughs> I know. Such a good moment. As if we didn't need any reminders of how amazing Alfie Allen is to um, him running along beside them, trying so desperately to keep up and his reactions to the scenes. He's basically propped himself up against the tree and yeah, telling them that they're doing such a great job while he's also shaking. He is the best. And I know we say that all the time on all of our shows, but um, he just, just does such an amazing job of bringing Reek into this interesting headspace. I like it. <laughs> I like it too. <laughs> I was going to say that we don't always get to see it in the books, but you know, I know we do get a lot of his perspective, but it's just different seeing it from this this angle, I guess you could say. So, I mean, I guess we didn't really get any like reek torture scenes in this episode, which is great. It was like catching up with Reek after the end of last season and we didn't really we didn't get him in the first episode, and so we're wondering what exactly happened and it's like here here's what happened right ramsey's got him trained so well that he sort of runs alongside him like a squire and ramsey's got a girlfriend he had another girlfriend and i guess he got tired of her and so dion or reek's been there to see the whole thing and that's i guess something that would be painful to him because this is the kind of life i think that maybe theon minus all the murder would have liked to have lived you know sporting and running around and having all this fun and Mm -hmm. there's just layers to it that are pretty terrible yeah and he you know he's not gonna run away or he's gonna shave ramsey's neck while hearing about what happened to rob and it's gonna take a little bit of willpower but he's not gonna do anything about it and i think that that's kind of what makes Roos, as I think you were talking about earlier, um, I'm not going to say happy because I don't think he's really happy with the situation, but he kind of starts to see how this can be used to his advantage after his initial anger at kind of the entire situation. The fact that um, Ramsey kind of took their ho- this valuable hostage and turned him into, Roos calls it his plaything, and you know, kind of took control of the situation in a, in a way that Roos wasn't happy with. But I think as he sees how far Theon has come, how far Reek has become, that he finds some sort of use for for what Ramsay can do in the future. Yeah, I thought the same thing. It was almost like he was powerless to his own situation. He had that moment where he realized that he has trusted Ramsay far too much. And that, like, he's already done irreversible damage that, you know, there's progress that he was hoping for, like possibly trading Theon for Moat Kalen. Maybe Roos would have handled that better. I know he would have sent a better letter, and I know that it wouldn't have had Theon's skin in it. Right. And so... Literally. So Roos is like, damn it, this is the bet I've made. I, I made a pact with Tyron Lannister, and it got me this far, but not paying attention to really what was going on at home, the kind of person he was raising and the kind of power he gave someone while not paying attention to it. He comes home and he sees like what he sowed and he brings Walda back and he's like, all right, now I'm restarting, but this is what I've, this is what I've got to deal with. And it's not good at first, but Ramsey calls Theon inside and they start to have that famous shaving scene where all those wonderful memes and gifts are created from. He's telling Theon about stuff that would bother him, bother him enough to want to cut his throat while he's saying, hey, 
shave my throat. Also, tell mm-hmm. my dad about the start kids. It's right. just layer upon layer of thing that you think would change the situation. But he's also threatening Roos with that knowledge of the Stark kids being left over. And he's also threatening Roos with the power that he's put over Theon. So it's kind of like a double layered, look what I've done, Dad, and aren't I so good? Right. I wonder what Roos really thinks about that. You know what I mean? Because, you know, he's definitely being manipulated in that situation. And I think he knows that. But he kind of does what he can with it. I think he feels like his back's against the wall. Mm-hmm. and. And if this is what has happened, I think as a person of action that got him to the place that he is already, I think he sees that he just needs to try to utilize Ramsey and maybe throw him in harm's way a little bit yeah, and get Locke involved. And it's like, okay, well, if this is the kind of spirit you're going to have, I'm going to use your momentum rather than like yelling at you over and over and maybe taking Reek away or something. So really, I guess Roos did... I mean, he's already, it's like he's already sold his soul, you know what I mean, to Taiwan or to, or to whoever the bad guy is. So he's like, I'm just going to keep on doing the worst thing. Mm-hmm. The one that gets us the most ahead. Well, and it's a win win situation for him, regardless. I love that this is the episode where Joffrey dies, and this is the episode where we get that epically shot royal wedding. And we're talking <laughs> well, about, because, you Reek know, and Ramsey when you and think Roose about Bolton. it, as, we already said, like, Ramsey is being set up and is already set up as being the next crazy bad guy that we really hate. And and you think about Joffrey and Joffrey dying is no small thing. And I think it's very cathartic for the viewers mm. to see that happen. But it doesn't really change a lot. You know what I mean? Like, the you momentum. Don't so? I don't. I mean, Tywin's still in power. You know what I mean? I, I it does change a lot for Tyrion, and it changes a lot for someone like Sansa. And and, but in terms of like the shift of power, I don't think it really changes the game very much in King's Landing. Um, whereas I think that someone like Ramsay is kind of out there making moves, sort of maybe not political right. moves, but he's you know gaining momentum. And and I don't think that Joffrey dying while rocks for us isn't something as game-changing as someone like rob dying you know what i mean mm-hmm. because there's still tom in there in the background there's still tom in the background cersei's gonna stay in power tywin's she basically stay in power. said hey i'm still the queen at the end of that scene when she started ordering people around it's like if joffrey dies then marjorie being married to him doesn't matter so really right. what was going on two hours ago before this all happened is back in place Mm -hmm. exactly so not to minimize how amazing all of this is but and also kind of gruesome although it is a small change it's a chink in the lannister armor where at the end of the last season we felt like they were completely on top of the world and there was almost nothing that they could do wrong it's it's crazy that they're so powerful that the king being murdered at his own wedding is only a chink in the I armor. Know, right? And it's also crazy that it took the other most powerful house in the Seven Kingdoms to pull it off. Or at least, you know, someone who has a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, Olena Tyrell. Spoiler alert. Have you seen those? You kind of like, and I was looking at them, one of them before we sat down to record, breakdowns of people taking screenshots of her exactly when exactly in these scenes she could have done it that was me tonight when we were i was watching the episode before Mm -hmm. we recorded i was like okay now she's walking over here and you could tell when she got a little bit nervous after she had picked it and she was like all right right, i'm gonna do this i better walk over there now i feel like 
I mean, time has passed since I watched this for the first time, since I read about this the first time. But I feel like with this last season that we just watched, the Tell Cersei It Was Me moment was Mm -hmm. just like, I'm still riding high from that. That happened six months ago in the summertime, but still riding high. I guess this is the perfect time to ask you then, having read the royal wedding in the books before you were able to see the TV adaptation of it. I feel like I have so many questions for you. First off, did you call it the Purple Wedding in the interim before it was captured now in pop culture? Also, did you call the Red Wedding the Red Wedding? I know it's referenced that way in the books. Yeah, I... I guess you don't have to answer both. <laughs> I don't... Honestly, I don't really remember. I don't remember what I called Joffrey at this wedding when I read it in the books, to be honest with you. Okay. So that's a really terrible answer to that question, but I don't I don't I think that's I a good answer. Like I wasn't on Reddit back in those days, you know what I mean? Mhm. So I don't remember. So you just kind of thought of it as that time Joffrey got killed by that, poison. That time that Joffrey choked to death in the middle of his own wedding in front of everybody in King's Landing. So at first you were like he choked, but I'm not sure how and you didn't really know, right? You were like, "Hmm." No, the first time I read the books, I had no idea. <laughs> I was reading way too fast to have any, to like in any smart or calculated way pulled together <laughs> who could have had the motivation to do that. I think it was the same for people <laughs> watching the show. I feel like yeah. over the course of the last few episodes making podcasts for Rewatch the Throne, we have seen small moves, things like the necklace being gifted and things like certain people's awkwardness or, or lines that I feel like are a little bit set up like you know or it's like we're gonna see the end of this tale yeah like conversations that Elena's having and mm-hmm. frank discussions you know like that scene with her and sansa and marjorie kind of mm-hmm. comes to mind yeah she was very sure that marjorie was gonna have an okay time mm-hmm. questionable it just didn't seem like it was Tyrion. you know they really poured it on it's just man i know he just so happens to be the guy holding the cup at the end with Joffrey's like hand as he's kind of pointing towards him, it's almost too perfect. It's what yeah. it's exactly what Cersei would want, you know? And so it's almost too perfect that that's, that's how it ended up playing out. Do you think that that was the intent of Olenna Tyrell and Littlefinger to that, like we said, that chink in the armor to cause some kind of mistrust within the Lannister camp? Because now they're fighting sibling to sibling. Cersei's angry at Jaime because he did nothing. Cersei's angry at... T- Tyrion because she wants to blame him for it. Right. Tyrion hates everyone because everyone hates him. Does somebody like Olena understand the relationship that Cersei and Tyrion have? Like, is that something that's common knowledge? I think so. Cersei's feelings about Tyrion? Probably. I I think at this point with the Handmaidens and with, you know, we see Marjorie's people around, people like Pycelle are interacting with her Handmaidens. I think that that might be Mm -hmm. part of it. I think that there's enough unrest within the Lannister family as a whole that Olena could have very easily shot in the dark, handled this, knowing that somebody was going to get blamed for something and that it wasn't going to be good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there's enough reason. Cersei is explosive enough for it to have been placed on almost anybody and the everything could have been taken away from Olena um, without much premeditation from that aspect on her part so i don't know that's why it was so confusing when the episode aired 
We're like, eh, I feel like everyone wants to m- murder him, especially Varys in the crowd. If one more person taps him in the back of the head while entertainment is happening. <laughs> well, the sh- yeah, like the camera keeps panning right to like so to his good. deadpan face. He's like, sitting at that table with his bald head. It's like head. the award show cameraman knows exactly who to cut back yeah. to. They're like, this guy, he's the one. Also Oberyn Martell because he's so ridiculously handsome. Did you see that moment between Loras and Oberyn before Jamie goes to talk to him? Of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of my favorites. He's he's sucking on Alaria's fingers mm-hmm. and he's just not breaking eye contact. And neither is Loras. He's like, all right. Man, Oberyn is so good. It, but what did he wear to that wedding? It was just like the normal Dormanish garb. Doesn't matter. I just feel like the Red Viper, you know, probably would have turned it up a little bit for the royal wedding. He w- Trust me, he was turning it up enough. You're right. You're right. Oh, that moment where um, Tyrion's walking and uh, Oberyn's like, hello. And he's like, oh, hi. And he's like, not you. <laughs> Walks up to the contortionist. That's what I'm saying. Is like the thing I enjoyed so much about this episode were all of these kind of character interactions that we don't really get to see very often. Like Marjorie and um, Brienne talking yeah. and Brienne and Cersei chatting and um, Mace Tyrell going up to Olena and Tywin as they're talking. Not now, Mace. Yeah, so good. So good. Also, shout also, out to Olena Mace Tyrell. and Tywin. That conversation was good. It's like, why didn't you two just get together? Can't you just you like feel the weight of the lives that they've lived as they're gliding down to the wedding? Mm-hmm. Mace Tyrell comes like stumbling up back and forth. That was so great. But that's what's so cool is I feel like there's so many of these very interesting conversations and and it's long and drawn out. And especially near the end, the tension is just building and building and building from, yeah, you know, from from the from the very from well, the brunch. Especially for you, because you've read the books and you're like, when is it going to happen? They keep right. cutting back to Joffrey sitting up here and it's got that seal rose that. Um, their version of the Reigns of Castamere has that sort of brooding string thing at the beginning of it. And mm-hmm. it just kind of feels like you're watching 24 for a second. It's like, <laughs> is this the moment where it happens? Right, where the thing does the thing and the thing. And it keeps going on. You have, it's like you didn't realize what was going to happen when he had the uh, the War of the Five Kings skit where he hired all of the... All the dwarves. The dwarves to, to come and reenact, uh, I guess... Shout out to later in the seasons when we're in Bravos. It's kind of like a, a cool thing they've added in that I like. Mm-hmm. I don't remember where I was going with it, but I just feel like they it just kept dragging it on. It kept dragging, kept keeps building. And during that War of the Five Kings skit, looking at everybody in the audience, how everybody was horrified. I mean, even Marjorie is up there looking stressed out of her mind. And we get another pan, pan to... uh Varys, who's just sitting there doing his thing or whatever, but he's not looking very happy. Everybody is offended. Joffrey manages to offend pretty much every single person sitting in that room. Well, they're not in a room, but every single person sitting at that party with this little skit that he puts on. And he's the only one who's laughing. Especially your girl Sansa. They made sure to show how much she was hurt by that. Sansa, there's a lot of great Sansa moments in this episode, and I just love her so much. And she gets swept away. <laughs> now the real podcast can begin. <laughs> she gets swept away by Sardantos. I just, something, I can't get into too many Santa thoughts, but the first one is that 
didn't you notice a lot during this wedding? And, and I mean, a lot to the build up to this wedding is that when jo- whenever Joffrey and Marjorie are kind of sharing a moment, like as they're walking up to the altar, not really altar, but wherever they get married, they're panning or it's showing them. And then it like zooms in on Sansa's face, kind of looking solemn in the background. I feel like they do that all the time. But like Sansa helping Tyrion pick, pick the cup back up or... She kind of jokes with him a little bit before the wedding starts or Tyrion says something along the lines of how he's glad she's not the queen because she would have to deal with Joffrey and Sansa asking Tyrion if they can leave early because same. Um, Mm -hmm. I just feel, I don't know. I just, I just like Sansa. She doesn't really do anything special in this episode. I just like, I like, I appreciate kind of her, and Tyrion's relationship in this episode and their mutual respect for each other. And it's right before they kind of get swept up into this big ordeal. And you can kind of see at this point, like the respect that they have for each other. Um, and she has to watch that back to the original point where the five Kings skit and continue to relive that over and over again. And I thought it was so awesome for Elena to come up to her um, before the festivities kind of started. And you can see her face, like how grateful she is. As Elena apologizes for everything and really sincerely says how horrible all of this must be and how terrible she must be feeling and everything she must be dealing with and that what kind of monsters could ever do that and then invites her to Highgarden and... I don't know. Sansa deserves to run away to Highgarden with somebody like Olena, who I think is very sincerely trying to look out for her. So Yeah, but Pettigrew is going to transform and run away. And all our evidence <laughs> is gone. That's what I felt like. I was yeah, like, that's a good analogy. Stop saying all these great things that are never going to happen, Olena. I know, but you just, you know, in that moment when they're having that conversation, you just can't help. And I mean, every time they talk about that, you just can't help but wish that she could just run away to someplace like High Garden to somewhere where people will take care of her. But um that's a very long winded thing about Sansa when she didn't really do anything in this episode. But hey, here we are. So now she's off away to some not safety, but not much safer than where she would be if she was still in King's Landing. Olena knew that she was leaving and she wanted to say goodbye in the right way. I thought it was pretty touching too. And then right after that, well, obviously she wanted to steal the crystal from the necklace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was nice, though. So she takes the crystal, she says good things, and then she eventually goes over to put it in Joffrey's wine cup so she can murder the king at his wedding. Casual, as Olena always is. Do you think that this connection with Sansa and Tyrion is going to play a part in the final season? I think so. I think so. I mean, when they're getting married? for real this time (laughs) no no but it's like i'm saying and i don't i don't think anybody would deny that they have some sort of relationship you know and i i think that sansa mutual respect you mentioned yeah it's a mutual respect and and Tyrion is trying really hard and he understands the position he's in and sansa sees that and so i think that they yeah have this respect for each other and i think that as we approach the final season and as they are, as we can suspect, going to be having conversations or brought together. I think that that's absolutely going to play up. And I I think that that's going to be an interesting thing to see between the two of them. Because this is, a, this is 
the last time they see each other. This is, I mean, she's taken yeah, away. Yeah, she just gets taken right out she, the side door. Yeah. She's, I'm not sure how Dantos got up that close to the royal table, you know, especially when things were going down. But I guess that's what it was, the chaos. He was just able to kind of dart through there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's completely swept away. And so they don't see each other. So, you know, that's quite a bit of time and quite a bit of stuff happens. So. Yeah, no, so much happens. Tyrion grows so much. She goes through so much and then grows so much. I mean, wouldn't, would you say the same thing or do you feel differently? I feel like it would be really cool if it did because I also really like both of these characters kind of for the, the same reasons. And it's it's nice to see them, especially in the face of all the, the hard stuff. But even even just them being so different in age and personality. It's nice to see them get along Mm -hmm. because they are really alike. And look how much, I mean, Tyrion has grown quite a bit, but look how much Sansa's grown in her power and her ability to uh, handle herself politically compared to where she is here in season four. And that would be something I think that would be cool for Tyrion to see. Yeah. No, he would have lots of really like funny lines to say about like, well, looks like you've had Uh little finger killed or something. (laughs) Arya's going to hate everything about Tyrion, though. Oh, my gosh. Think about it. Ah, man. Really think about that. She's going to be like, you think you're clever, huh? And he's like, well, I like being clever. Clever is, you know, he just says whatever because he's nervous. Well, and especially not to dog on the last season, but if we're going to get writing for Tyrion like we've been getting, he's going to be brought down to those little quips and that's gonna be it i don't think so he might be riding a dragon he's gonna ride be riding a dragon while saying things like i drink and i know things. <laughs> <laughs> he's shouting <right? laughs> yeah. over dragonstone <laughs> that's all fine we've been talking a lot about the story but i wondered what you thought about how they captured the royal wedding all of the decorations the set the blocking of the characters, the music. I feel like that's so much more up your alley of things that you pay attention to <laughs> that I don't. Was it pretty when you watched it? Like that nice golden lion with the red carpet? I love it. I mean, I loved I loved Marjorie's extra hair and her beautiful dress. And I love how the wind kind of, like it just looked like a beautiful day. Like, the wind was kind of blowing a little bit while they were out in the garden. Like, it just was such a beautifully stunning day. And like I said, I loved having all of King's Landing kind of in the same spot. I forget the exact time window, but I was having a conversation with Daniel, who plays Podrick. And he was talking about their shooting schedule and how everything looks so pretty. But if you pay attention to everyone's faces, they all look really sweaty. Was it so hot? Yeah, it's like they shot it over, I think, two very long days. It might have been more than that. I can't remember exactly. But it was very long, and the food was rotting, and there was flies around, and they would have to shoot them between takes. I can't remember the story exactly, but I I just remember knowing that everyone, it seems very beautiful and bright, and you were talking about how nice the day was. And I'm thinking, (laughs) yeah, it was was, was the Spanish heat, and uh, they, they stuck through it. And pulled off some really great performances. I love the blocking, I think. That's so interesting. I I liked how Brienne was able to get her time. And sort of around that moment of the episode where it was cutting between people like Oberyn and Jamie and Loras. And 
obviously Ferris. It felt the closest to a book adaptation of a scene that I that I could have found so far in the episode. Mm, mm-hmm. It just didn't really have a point to it, and I really liked it for that reason. Mm-hmm. It seemed like these big characters were getting treated sort of normally because there was so many in one place, so there wasn't a lot of hero shots. It just felt kind of raw, and I really liked that. Yeah, almost like a, a reality point. show. That's a really good point. I think that as I'm thinking back on that, I totally see what you're saying. And things that were really cool were understated because there was so much finery. Like, for example, I I can't believe you haven't mentioned Brienne's Tarth sweater. I thought it was so beautifully embroidered. And I was like, I have to make a note about this because I've seen this episode so many times. But I just, you know, you, you miss details like the costuming and the the kinds of molding that's on the pillars that are holding the tent and i think that the team behind the show the creative team that put this together especially on this episode it was just really really stunning work mm-hmm. yeah brand the color of what she was wearing was really beautiful well and we don't get a lot of colorful scenes in a song of ice and fire i think and so to spend some time at a wedding like this where a lot of what we, I mean, you know, King's Landing does have its fair share, especially those outdoor scenes of kind of the greenery and all of that. But for the most part, a lot of the show, especially the creep more and more towards the latter half, are not filled with bright, bold colors or, as you're saying, like long, not lazy, but kind of shots of the crowd with all of our favorite characters just sitting there. And so, yeah, I think that that kind of adds to the elegance of the whole finery of how this wedding needs to be. But what? Who didn't somebody make a comment about how it's extravagant, but not as extravagant as I thought it was going to be kind of thing? I don't know. But it's Joffrey's wedding. Joffrey's wedding. Oh, we forgot to mention the gift giving ceremony where Joffrey, it was almost like was literally Michael just Scott about to levels say. of not, have, not being self-aware where he was just looking around and Mace Tyrell gives him that present. And he's like, oh. Mace Tyrell, first of all, everything he does just cracks me up for literally no reason. But Joffrey telling him or Joffrey giving him this gift or this like beautiful book. And Joffrey says, now that the war is won, we should all find time for wisdom. That was kind of a good line. It was a hilarious line. (laughs) And then he chops up that book. It gave me so much stress because you know how much work went into creating that book that Joffrey is just like hacking away at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tyrion grimaces. It's awful. It was so macabre for such a bright setting. And the way that it started, there was such hope at the beginning of it. A book every king should read. I mean, that is a thoughtful gift. Super thoughtful. And Joffrey almost takes it. You know, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. We should all find time for wisdom. I love this brunch, wedding brunch or whatever the heck it is. Meanwhile, his mom's like, that's Tyrion's whore over there. Oh, yeah. That was a ru- that was sad. Yeah. Tywin's like, good. Have her sent up to my chambers to be killed. That was a rough, rough scene between. Oh, the breakup. The breakup scene between Tyrion yeah. and Shay right after this gift giving. What do you situation. think about that? You know, did we? I think we talked about this literally last episode. Um, well, they've been going through it lately. They've been going through it it's lately. A rough patch, but um, just kind of setting things up and how things are going to play out between the two of them, just because it's change a little bit from the book and kind of their relationship is a little bit different and Tyrion saying things like I can't be in love with the whore and 
he's plays it off like he's trying to hold up his vows to, so- to he Sansa. He says like and the worst stuff. He says all the worst stuff and he knows that he's saying all the worst stuff. Like he says all the things that he knows are going to make her hurt the most because he wants her to go. It's tough, you know? I mean, did you, I mean, you kind of feel, you feel you feel for Tyrion a little bit. You know what I mean? Because he doesn't really want to do this, but I think he's left with no choice. He feels like he's left with no choice now that he knows that other people know. It's a strange situation because he says things that makes you want to not feel sorry for him no matter what he's going through. And you kind of are questioning Shay as well because this people have been coming to her thoughtfully and saying, well, at least Varys has and has been like, hey, Things are about to go down. This is the kingdom, for God's sakes. Like, we're we're at the capital, and I'm giving you this warning. This isn't just for fun. So you're also wondering why she's playing it so lightly. She's like, do you want me on the table? Do you want me over here? Because you know how real it is. Mm-hmm. You know that there really was someone that her, overheard a conversation and that shave really has been had. Like, the scary part, all the stuff that we've been kind of afraid of, really has happened and i think that i sort of ignored it when i was reading the books because there's so much else going on and probably even while you're watching the show because there's so much else going on and maybe in the back of your head you're just like well of course they're gonna get caught but they're actually like for real caught right now Mm -hmm. and so when Tyrion's going into this situation he's actually seriously trying to get her to go not he's not trying to have like a fight for fight's sake or to like make his point and to say like okay now we really have to be careful like no like he knows that they know and Varys remember the the scene in the the garden where Varys is like dude like time's up Mm -hmm. you have lots of other stuff you need to do and there's lots of other things going on can we take care of this Shay situation right she might be killed man you know so what's what's it worth to you and you can see that real fear in yeah. this scene, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is it is almost frustrating with how she's trying to stand up to this whole thing. She's like, you know, I can we can take them or I'm not afraid of anybody or blah 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 nice. blah. Whatever he says. Like that's a really great to think, but I don't know if you really understand, you really understand who you're up against in the situation. I mean, yeah, I mean as Tyrion says at the end of the day, she is She's just a whore. I mean, there's nothing. How can someone like her stand up against Tywin Lannister? You know what I mean? That's not going to end well for anybody involved. And so. Well, I mean, no one's going to stand up for Shay. You know, she's the handmaiden to Sansa and she's part of this weird plot. And everyone's so worried about covering their own ass. It's yeah. like they're not, they're not like taking into account that this is a whole person. No, because to them, she's nobody, you know? Mm-hmm. And Braun swears up and down, left and right, that she's safe and she made it on the boat and he makes some comment to Tyrion. and he says now go on and drink until it feels like the right thing mm-hmm. and he swears that shay is on the ship and has sailed away and that's done with and we're done with shay and we don't have to worry about it anymore which if only that was the actual case but it seems like she was really sad though of of course i think that especially in the way that their story has progressed in the show you know there's seems to be some real love there between them you know what i mean or some real affection and companionship and i don't think it's easy for either of them if we're to believe how it went down it looked like exactly that that they were actually in love and that this was a truly painful thing and nothing about it was confusing so 
carry that perspective, or at least I'm going to try to carry that perspective into how they integrate her into the courtroom scenes and then ultimately how it's finished. Because, you know, between the two mediums, the book and the TV show, and between people's opinions about book Shay and even some about how it was depicted here, there's so much confusion. But I think it's clear sort of here how she felt, at least. How she's feeling here in this point in this narrative, I think definitely we can we can draw from that as we see her over the course of the rest of the season. Tyrion is screwed. This is where it gets Tyrion gross. Tyrion is in a, I mean, our quote-unquote heroes, who do we have left? You know, Tyrion is so screwed. Sansa is gone. Bran is having weird visions. John was not in this episode. John isn't here. Arya's not here. Daenerys was not in this episode. Danny's not here. Stannis is burning randos. Kyburn was only mentioned. <laughs> we didn't see Kyburn's face. So things are not looking so great. Axel Florent murdered on the beach of Dragonstone, yards away from the cave entrance where Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen would later fall in love. <laughs> that was brutal when the fire swept up and Selyse is like, oh, I could see their souls leaving She's their body. loving it. It's so creepy. You forget how truly creepy and bad mm-hmm. Stannis was before he goes north mm-hmm. sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just this scene was... Davos was looking away from the camera like he was ashamed, like for our sake, like I'm usually your friend, mm-hmm. but he was party to that sacrificial shit. Well, and almost worse than Stannis was Selyse, his wife. Selyse was really horrible, calling out Shireen and so jealous over her. Yeah. Ability to garner some of Stannis's affection. It's like, why don't you turn some of that jealousy toward the red woman who's sitting at the end of your table with all her perfect makeup, just like, hmm, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Her little okay. like half smile. Yeah. About everything. And her just really paying attention to what Selyse was saying, you know, like, hmm. We did yeah. though get that humanizing moment from that for Stannis, as you just mentioned, and how much he loves Shireen. But Selyse is just I just found it really fascinating because she is loving her brother burning. That's her brother, right? Because mm-hmm. he worships some other gods that he's been worshiping his whole life for generations and that he slightly disobeyed Stannis. And she's loving it. She's like talking about all this stuff at dinner, about how Stannis used to make her soup out of book pages and glue and isn't that great, oh, honey? Seagull, Isn't that so delicious. cool? Yeah, they're telling nice stories and, and welcoming the mistress over for dinner. Yeah, it's so weird. All of it is so weird. And You're Stannis right. It was just... just after he died, too. So that was just telling of how much she has been indoctrinated in this faith. Yeah, it's just really interesting that she's so incredibly devout. Whether she's, I don't think she's just putting on a show, though, either, because no, she's pretty sincere gleeful and so it's interesting that she feels so incredibly devout during more so than anybody else during this entire situation i just thought that was interesting but she wants shireen to be beaten for some reason yeah that's pretty much the worst sweet little shireen i just wonder when you know like at what point when she's you know being kept in her room does she does does she do something that you know i i she didn't listen right so 
I don't know. It seemed very sort of heavy, heavy handed toward hinting at Shireen being sort of brutalized later Mm -hmm. in the name of the faith. Yeah. Well, what did you think about that conversation when Melisandre goes in there and talks to her? Oh, I loved it. I think that it's it's overlooked, I think, a little hard because I haven't thought back to it much, but I felt like it was a some really good Melisandre, kind of a little Melisandre a la her point of view chapter. And it was nice to see her be truly honest with a person because normally people are trying to get something from her or she's trying to get something big from them. But I feel like she sort of saw this child as her intellectual equal as far as being able to root bullshit out and mm-hmm. smell smell a rat. And so I, she gave her her honest answer to all the questions that Shireen had mm-hmm. about the faith and about the seven gods. And she said some really spooky stuff about there only being two gods. And uh, then Shireen was talking about the the afterlife and uh, the seven hells. And she was like, no, there's only one hell. We're living in it right now. The one we just... live in now. Yeah. <laughs> so creepy. It, I, I think it cuts to north of the wall at that moment, Brand and company. And mm-hmm. you see that, that swirling hellish landscape that we're going to be dominated with, I think, in the last season. Mm-hmm. And it's all very mysterious. Very interesting to have Melisandre so connected to whatever the heck Bran is doing north of the wall. When he's about to talk to the Three-Eyed Raven? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. Do you think that Summer's kill was a was some kind of blood sacrifice for <laughs> getting further in the case of the Three-Eyed Raven? I don't know if we're at that point yet. How have we not talked about the fact that the Three-Eyed Raven gave Bran a very clear vocal... You know, you could write it down and get a very clear message from some magical person in this episode. Season four, episode two, that's pretty awesome. And all of the, the cutscene, I've totally forgot of all the, the, the glimpses of what we saw from the future. His huge vision. Yeah. When you saw this for the first time and you were like, hey, this was nowhere near the point of view chapters where Joffrey was killed. How did you feel about it originally? <laughs> well, I think that. I think that we, I felt probably how everybody felt watching this for the first time is that what is Bran going to do when we get to the, I think as we're here in season four, we were at the point where we were realizing that it was a probably a decent possibility that we would start catching up, especially with Bran. I mean, we're really far along and to have such a massive space between what's happening in King's Landing versus what's happening north of the wall it's kind of like, well, what's going to happen after we catch up to where we are in the books, which we see what ends up happening. But Bran doesn't <laughs> – I feel like I'm going to say this and it's going to come out negative, but I don't mean <laughs> it to be negative. Bran doesn't do a lot. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't do – his storyline is pretty much the same through mm-hmm. most of the series until we get – who the end is when he really kind of starts coming with the heavy hitter stuff. And so um, it makes sense that they would catch up so quickly because he's just does a lot of wandering and being cold. And so it's exciting. It's exciting to see a vision like this at this point, because um, we just had a really big brand chapter on game of bones, the last brand chapter that we have um, in our read through. And so if you aren't listening to that or are interested in kind of where Bran is in the story for real, you should go check that out. But to have touches of that 
this early on is kind of exciting. And to see some of that power that comes from the Three-Eyed Raven and from being with a weirwood tree and knowing where he needs to go, it's all exciting. It's like big things are brewing for these kind of end game types of questions and things that we don't know the answers to yet. Even at this point, definitely at that point, for book readers, I think at this point, the only thing from his vision in this episode that hasn't been sort of looked at or referenced directly from the series has been the dragon flying over mm-hmm. King's Landing. Mm-hmm. So. That's coming. And it was bright outside. It didn't look like it was really snowy. So I think that that's probably Daenerys and not the Night King. Or maybe it's John or Podrick Payne or something. Podrick Payne. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the last thing. So that's going to happen. That's cool. It's really cool. It's really, really cool. I don't have anything else to say about that. Um, <laughs> what if did... you would have saw a frame from the loot train battle <laughs> instead of Can you that? imagine? <laughs> Why did I have to? Of all the episodes. Um, one thing I did want to mention, though, is Joden giving Bran some really interesting advice about making sure he's uh, some important advice about making sure he doesn't spend too much time warging, basically, and how easy it could be to kind of slip into summer all the time and he mentioned something about how nice it must be to be able to run and to eat sort of in quotation marks because it's not really him eating but for him to kind of be free and how dangerous that is and so I thought that was he's still you know he's closer to starting to figure out his destiny you could say but he still is learning quite a bit even from somebody like Jojen that lesson was a good lesson to all of you listening that may be experiencing a World of Warcraft addiction, or if you ever have, you might understand what he's talking about. <laughs> when he was going through that, that's the first thing I was thinking. I, mean, I was thinking like it felt I like being a, a video game. I water while you were saying that. <laughs> this is what Jojen said what would happen to Brad. Now, just try to apply this to maybe something that you don't have to be addicted to something, but something that you give your attention to that may not give you... The kind of, let me just read what he says. He forget life, stop eating here, forget everyone, his home, forget himself, lose everything. And I wrote (laughs) for nothing, for a look at something else, right? Because his legs are broken. So your legs are broken and you can't move throughout life the way that you'd like, Bran. But you're spending so much time in your wolf or you're spending so much time maybe with Hodor in the, the corner of his own mind. You're ignoring the things that you need to do. In your life now, Brandon, what that is, is to look for him, look for me beneath the tree, and then just simply the word north. So mm-hmm. that's, I guess, what you need to do. Also, look out for that crazy White Walker guy that looks different than the rest of them. We didn't know anything about what a Night King was, but we knew oh, he man. looked very scary. Can you imagine not knowing who the Night King was at this point? I remember. I was very suspicious. I didn't know that this guy had a chain collection. (laughs) That was a bad joke. No one's here to call me out for it. (laughs) Anyway, that was The Lion and the Rose, written by George R. R. Martin, one of my favorite episodes of the series. Rest in peace, Joffrey. It flowed like a book in some parts of it. I know that doesn't really make much sense, but... It does. I think maybe you guys get it. 
not like a you know like a Marvel movie where everything just kind of goes from thing to thing, but where we're kind of just they take a chance and put something on the screen that you know kind of stands on its own and isn't constantly calling back to things that have happened before to justify it being there. Mm-hmm. Just saying like, hey, here's a royal wedding, or at least the best way we could shoot it because there were tens of people standing in the hot sun and tens of crewmen trying to figure everything out. And this is about a book. So, you know, let's not take it too seriously, but let's also try to have fun with it. Let's do a great job. Loved it. Great episode. Is it time for us to give our favorite moments? Even though I tried to do that at the beginning of the episode. Let's do our owns. Do you want to go first? My own goes to that moment between Brienne and Cersei oh where gosh. she was like, do you love him? I just felt like Cersei's so smart and women in general are just very deep and very smart. I've gathered. And mm-hmm. She just looks like a Brienne. She's like, but all the other stuff that we could talk about out of the way, you know, I know that you were around him. So I know that you know stuff about him that I know. Are you in love with him? And Brienne being true to herself and making me think that there's probably going to be some Jamie Brienne romance. 2K19. <laughs> I'm so happy that you picked that because <laughs> do you want to know what my own was? What is it? Jamie squinting back at Brienne and Cersei while they're having that conversation. <laughs> like, did you see the look on his face? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, shit. He's just is looking over, like, kind of squinting a little bit. He looks back at them. I thought that moment was so funny. I was cracking mm-hmm. up. So I'm so glad that you made that your own because it all ties together so nicely. It's a grown up playground everyone that's <sighs> what this episode was it was and when you're a grown up you have the ability to wield power and with that power you have the ability to do terrible things and some bad stuff happened at this wedding to some good people and some bad stuff happened to some people that you know maybe had it coming but we don't want bad stuff to happen to anyone right except for joffrey except for joffrey rest in peace joffrey jamie and Brienne. Wait for it, everybody. (laughs) Those are our own, and we would love if you would join on the fun with us. You can write to the podcast by tweeting at Game of Owns on Twitter. You can send us an email, contact at GameofOwns.com. And we've got coming up next time, we're going to... Next on the podcast. Next Next on our super cool podcast. Breaking Chains. And next time we've got season four, episode three... Breaker of Chains. Breaker of Chains. So the fun continues. That's all for us today. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye.